Hi there, this is James Maynard from the Cosmic Companion. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, our podcast is put out through Anchor FM. If you've ever wanted to have to your own podcast, they're a heck of a lot of fun. Uh, I mean, Anchor gives you a chance to uh, put get your podcast together with all the tools in one place. And um, you can do it from your phone or a computer. And they're going to help you get distributed out to all the major platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. And so, best of all, Anchor's all free. How cool, huh? Anyway, if you want to check it out, go download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Clear skies. Hello, and welcome back to The Cosmic Companion. In this week's episode of Astronomy News with The Cosmic Companion, we discuss the birth of a giant space cigar and journey to a planet that may look a little like home, but which is found in dangerous territory. We'll examine a pair of satellite galaxies orbiting the Milky Way and learn what they might teach us about dark matter. Finally, we'll see how astronomers can learn about the history of exoplanets through resonances in planetary orbits. In 2017, an unusual elongated object visited our solar system from another family of stars. This unusual object, called Aumuamua, generated interest and wonder worldwide. Stories of its origin range from the ordinary to the highly unlikely. Now, a new study suggests that the body was once part of a young planet which shattered when it came too close to its parent star. The space cigar later shot toward a brief encounter with our own solar system. A newly discovered exoplanet has been discovered by researchers examining older data from the now-defunct Kepler spacecraft. This world, dubbed Kepler-1949c, is about the same size as Earth and orbits within the habitable zone of its star, where water might potentially pool on its surface. These conditions could make life there possible if other conditions were ideal. However, this warmth results because the planet huddles extremely close to its parent star, a small, cool red dwarf. Astronomers caution that this close proximity to its star could result in powerful solar flares striking the world, wiping out any life which may have ever developed there. Dark matter makes up roughly 85% of the matter in the universe, yet it cannot be seen. The nature of this mysterious mass remains one of the great questions of science. Now, a team of researchers at the University of California, Riverside, have examined two satellite galaxies of the Milky Way called Draco and Fornax in order to test a new idea of dark matter. 
They found masses of dark matter can collapse, a finding which supports the new theory. A fraction of bodies in our solar system, including some of the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, have orbits that synchronize with their neighbors. For instance, one moon might orbit its planetary parent every three times for each two orbits made by its neighbor. This orbital resonance has now been spotted in the HD 158-259 star system. Astronomers believe this pattern could show that the planets migrated through their solar system to the positions we see them today. This week on the podcast version of Astronomy News with the Cosmic Companion, I talked with Dr. Nahum Arab of Virginia Tech talking about his new discovery of quasar tsunamis, the most energetic outbursts like this seen anywhere in the cosmos. Welcome to the show, Nahum. Um, thank you, and I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Um, so for those of us who are not familiar, can you give us a brief rundown of what is a quasar tsunami? Well, first let me say a few words about quasar itself. Quasar is the environment around a supermassive black hole. When material falls on the supermassive black hole, as it falls toward the black hole, it emits tremendous amount of radiation and becomes the most luminous object in the universe. It can outshine the galaxy that it resides in the center by a factor of up to a thousand. So this is a quasar, and it is a very small phenomenon. It is the size of it is less than the solar system, and yet it's hundreds to a thousand times brighter than the entire galaxy that it sits in. So it's a very, very energetic phenomenon. These tsunamis we're talking about are outflows of material that uh, some of the matter that falls in doesn't fall into the black hole, but it's being spitted out at very high speeds of several percent of the speed of light, and it is moving outwards, carrying tremendous amount of mechanical energy, momentum, and so forth. So what we've discovered is some of these outlets have huge amount of energy, and therefore we term them galactic tsunamis, basically. That's super. And so we know that pretty much all galaxies have supermassive black holes at their cores. So why do some galaxies form... Uh, these quasars, tsunamis, and others do not? Well, first of all, we think that the center of every galaxy now, or almost every galaxy, does harbor a supermassive black hole. But today, when the universe had settled down some, most of these are dormant, meaning there is no material falling on them, and therefore they don't give rise to the phenomena of the quasar. Now, we think that when the quasar are active, and they were much more active earlier on when we observed them with the Hubble Space Telescope as they were more than 10 billion years ago, um, when they were more active, that all of them had these copious outflows coming out of them. And the question is, can we catch them in the act, and can we measure how strong these are? Right. And do you think that these, um, these, this phenomenon was more common in the early universe? Why, would, why is that? 
we have no doubt that it was more common because we can just count them and see that nowadays there is less than one quasar of every thousand galaxies that are nearby. And the earlier universe, is it was more than a few percent up to maybe even one-tenth of all galaxies had a quasar in them. So um, we are quite certain that the early age was the age of quasars. And we think the reason for that is because as galaxies form and material is moving in a very chaotic way toward their centers and everywhere, there is much more material that can fall on the black hole, and therefore we see the phenomena. Later on in life, the galaxy become quiescent, all of the materials start moving around in predicted orbits, and very little bit of it falls to the center and produces the quasar phenomena. Hmm, that's fascinating. And so is it possible that the Milky Way experienced a similar period? We think the Milky Way experienced a minor period like that, and this is because the supermassive hole, black hole at the center of our own galaxy is rather modest. It's only 8 million solar masses when the guys we're talking about and we had in the studies are several billions of solar masses. So when the black hole is small, it does not emit as strong outflows and it does not shine as bright. But we still think that early on in the uh, evolution of our galaxy, we had a small quasar in its center probably around 10, 11 billion years ago or so. Hmm. And we know now that there are, you know, we see relatively few incredibly massive, uh, supermassive galaxies. And how, how is that related to the phenomenon of quasar tsunamis? Well, when people are making um, simulation of the evolution of the universe, the simulation is very successful. It produces a universe that is rather similar to what we observe, but with few exceptions. And one of them is that the simulation predicts many very large galaxies. Well, in order to explain that, the simulators invoke that the quasar in the center of the galaxy will produce this kind of an outflow, and they dial the magnitude of the outflow or the energy of the outflows to what they need, and they show that it can curtail the growth of the galaxy. So our uh, mission of my research group is to show that Mother Nature knows about these calculations and that there are outflows out there that are really that energetic, and this is really what we found. That's fantastic. Now, of course, you had the, you had the chance to do uh, something that you know amateur astronomers would just you know dream of doing, which is to use the Hubble Space Telescope. How did that come about, and why did you choose Hubble for your studies? Well, first, I want to say that yes, indeed, using the Hubble Space Telescope is the pinnacle of most observers' career because it is such a thought-after and such a successful uh, instrument. And I always thank all the people that are involved in that. There were several thousand people that were involved from building it to launching it to operating it in space and all of that. So uh, we astronomers can use it to decipher the secrets of the universe. Now, the reason we needed the Hubble Space Telescope is because it is above the atmosphere, and therefore it sees all the ultraviolet light that comes out of these quasars. If you sit down in the atmosphere, the atmosphere absorbs all of that, and you won't be able to see it. 
So in order to see and do the research we're doing, we need the ultraviolet light, and the only instrument that is capable of producing that is the Hubble Space Telescope. And the Hubble, Hubble, of course, is getting a little older now. And of course, now we're looking forward to the eventual launch of Webb and some other uh, observatories, both especially in space. But uh, what, what sort of future studies would you like to see done uh, on these quasar tsunamis? Well, the James Webb Space Telescope, which is the big game in this league, um, is basically going to give us a very large aperture and very sharp images, especially in the infrared. And we already have an idea of how to be able to image these outflows and seeing them in a picture. Currently, all of our data came from the spectrum of the source, meaning we are looking at the point source and we are looking at how the um, light is being spread to its different colors and we're looking for the fingerprints of the atoms and ions that are in the outflows to tell us what's happening. But the James Webb Space Telescope, we think that we'll be able to give us a an actual image of these, which will be a tremendous thing because we'll see the spatial extent of the outflow for the first time. Super. That's wonderful. Well, I thank you very much for your time, and it was wonderful to have you on the show. And thank you for listening. Please. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep your wonder alive. If you enjoyed this episode of The Cosmic Companion, please download and share the episode on YouTube or on any major podcast provider. For more details on space and astronomy news, please visit thecosmiccompanion.net or thecosmiccompanion.com. Mm-hmm.